Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. You know we're properly desensitized when none of us register that we are about 24 hours away, just a little bit more, from the draft lottery. This used to be all we would think about coming into this time of year for years and years and years, pretty much the moment Detroit started missing the playoffs. And today we went, oh yeah, that's uh, that's tomorrow. We can finally get this over with. Yeah, I've become desensitized to the fact that nothing good ever happens. And... We'll probably be back in the draft, you know? It's just just another year. I don't even want to tempt fate here, but with Detroit's most likely outcome being staying where they are at ninth overall, yeah, there's still a, you know, a one in four chance about uh, of moving back to 10th or 11th, either one. If they move back, I, I that live stream is going south fast. We're just going to turn it off. <laughs> You're going to have to rush to the camera. <laughs> the stream of expletives that are going to come out of my mouth. We're going to get demonetized. Just stay at ninth. That's all I ask. The one in 10 shot of moving up is great, but just don't, don't move back. But if they do move up, my God. Right out the window. Right out the window. The way that the studio is situated right now is um, we have those curtains closed and there's a chair in the way, but we're going to have to move that in case you and I have to go. And it's a double pane window, like a double wide. So we'll have to, I'll go left, you go right. Perfect. And then Brad, you'll have to take care of the live stream from here on out. Oh, I can't take care of the live stream because I will not be putting pants on for about a month if we win. We're getting demonetized no matter yeah. what. Oh, yeah. Pretty much what's happening. Yeah. We are at the NHL draft lottery, the Connor Bedard draft lottery. Finally, we can have some peace and, and understand where the Red Wings fall in all of this. We know what's most likely to come, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But for now, uh, welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast, here to talk to you about all things Detroit Red Wings hockey, the world of the NHL, prospects, and lots more. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we are going to be priming you on the 2023 NHL Draft Lottery, where players like Connor Bedard, Adam Fantilli, Matt Vaymichkov, Leo Carlson, Will Smith, and more are available, what are Detroit's odds, what are the most likely outcomes for them, and who uh, is going to be available for them wherever they might pick. Uh, we'll, we'll run a tankathon, so we'll, we'll simulate it a little bit for you. We're going to be talking about some news in the Red Wings world, uh, specifically about Jake Wallman no longer being an international free agent. Joe Valeno also named to an international team for the World Championships. Bob McKenzie released his latest version of his uh, draft list, which is pretty interesting. We'll get into a prospect profile, talk a little bit about the playoffs, and we'll see what else we get into before overtime. Before all that, uh, if you want to help support the show, patreon.com slash wingedwheelpodcast is how you join uh, our Patreon and join uh, and be a member of the so-called Dub Dub Club. Uh, that name given to us actually by um, Steve Dangle thought of that. So depending, <laughs> Steve's going through it right now as the Leafs, uh, we're recording this before game three, but the Leafs are down to nothing. Uh, as we record this one, but the, uh, the Patreon gives you benefits such as access to our Patreon exclusive discord, uh, our Patreon exclusive bonus episodes, which record right after these, which we've been told are better than the main episodes and, uh, access to all of our giveaways. Uh, you're automatically entered. Uh, for example, last season, we gave away two tickets to every Red Wings home game, the vast majority going directly to our Patreon supporters. What it does is it allows us to grow the show, uh, make this thing even bigger and better support, uh, our expanded content universe expected by whom, hosted by Prashanth Iyer and Sean Shapiro. Uh, give them a follow on Twitter and check the, uh, check out that show as well. And all of our support for the Jamie Daniels Foundation as well is largely driven by um, our Patreon. All right, let's jump right into it. 
overall vibes, jokes aside, how are you feeling for the draft lottery? Any any better? You feel like this could be a miracle, or is this just your you've settled with ninth in your mind? That's where the Red Wings are picking. Um, is five considered neutral? Yeah, five's not a bad score, but it's not a good score. Yeah, I'm a five and a half. Oh, oh, downright optimistic. Yeah, you know, there's when I say, but maybe that's <laughs> that point five percent or point five points. Uh- I need some clarification on the scale as well in terms of – is one like angry or one like just could care less? Yeah, I, I would say one is you could Like anger less. is not like a factor in here because we obviously don't have the results. No. Okay. Ten is hype train. One is I do not care. Or I, I, it'll happen and I don't yeah. really care. Ten is you're getting the Bedard or Fantilli jersey made up right now. Oh, okay. I'm about a two. That's a little bit more reasonable. What, what's, you know, the old saying, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. What is it at six, seven, <laughs> eight? Know. We have to go ask George W for that one. I'm honestly at the point, and I'm glad you brought it up early in the episode. As long as we don't drop lower than ninth, I'm content. Because I, again, fool me once. I know we're not moving up. So just hold serve, stay where we are. Don't make it worse. Because, you know. If we can hold serve at nine, Florida might be doing us a favor. We might actually move up a spot in the first round yeah. somehow for the first time ever. So here are the, the odds for Detroit as they stand. Uh, to get first overall pick, they have a 5% chance. To get second overall pick, they have a 5.2% chance. They do technically have a 0.2% chance of getting third overall, and I'll explain that in a minute. To stay at ninth, which is where they are in the, lot, the pre-lottery standing, 64.4%. 10th is 23.5%, and to move down to 11th is 1.7% chance. So the way the lottery works is they do two draws, the first lottery and a second lottery. You can only move up 10 spots. So the way Detroit could potentially end up with third overall is if uh, Ottawa, who's the 12th team, so they're, they're not eligible to win the first pick. If they win the first lottery, they only move up to second pick. And then if Detroit wins the second lottery... They don't move up to first. They go to third. And Anaheim, who is the uh, has the best odds of getting Bedard, they retain first overall. This is the stupidest thing of all time. <laughs> oh my god! It's yeah. You need a map. You're like uh, Char- Charlie Day. Yeah. We'll have the PowerPoint ready for the live stream. W- wasn't there a scenario where Chicago could win one of the two draft lottery spots and just not move? Yeah. At third. Yeah. Because that same scenario, the first Ottawa wins the first spot, they jump up to two. Chicago wins the second spot, just stays at three. Yeah, which is hysterical. <laughs> That's what Chicago deserves, actually. If you're going to have lottery luck, I hope Ottawa wins it right before you. Yeah, if we're not winning, there. I want some troll type outcome. Just give us chaos. That's all we ask for. Uh, outside of the Atlantic, please. Okay, but in all honesty, from an NHL point of view, if, if Connor Bedard goes out west, he would never admit to it. But Gary Bettman would put his head through a window. Oh, if you have McDavid and Bedard out west, that is awful, awful for the sport. Like, you know, we hate the Leafs. The but, finances. like, But Austin Matthews going to Toronto was very helpful for the league. Jack Hughes emerging in New Jersey. Phenomenal for the league. Because the NHL was spoiled for the better part, well, even still are, that with the fact that Crosby and Ovechkin both both ended up in the Eastern US. Like yeah. from yeah, a marketing standpoint, very that odd perfect. that that happened. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> totally random. Um, two absolutely struggling franchises just happened to land generational players in back-to-back years. Weird. I, for the record. That could be us. <laughs> <laughs> no. 
No. Are you guys actually uh, the Crosby lottery truthers? I'm not a conspiracy guy. The Crosby conspiracy theory is about the only one in hockey history that I'll give some credence to just because that was either A, the luckiest thing that ever happened to the NHL or, okay, with all the circumstances around it, it was a little fishy, but both of the these options are very long odds. So one of the long odds is true. Wait, you didn't give us our, um, your quantitative value for this one oh, to 10 feeling? I'm at about a three and a half. I oh, can't wow. have... I'm the optimist around you are. here? You My always God. are. My God. You're practically bouncing off the walls. The yeah, way definitely. I see it is I can't... I can't, in all honesty, say, oh, I forgot the draft lottery exists for like four or five days at a time and say I'm optimistic. I'm not like the hype guy anymore on this, but I'm like, it's coming. Please, God, let us win. I will say this is the most, I don't want to say not down in the dumps, but the most out of tune the fan base has been at this point in the season since the late Holland years, because the team did give some excitement for the Red Wings fans throughout the season, but by the end, with the injuries and falling out of the playoff races, uh, playoff race, it just it all washed away. And at least at this point, we would say, oh, Detroit has the first or second or third or fourth even uh, best chances of winning the draft lottery. And this year, it's ninth. And that's just a result of where the Red Wings are at. So it's really hard up until the NHL draft to, to see Red Wings fans be invested in this. But I will say for timing, counting everything that's happened since, you know, Justin Abdelkader was signed to that extension, this would be the single best thing to happen to Detroit to wash all that away. Even if it's the second pick, like obviously Bedard would change your franchise for, should change your franchise for, you know, a generation and a half at least. But Fantilli, like how much would he add to the, the rebuild? How much would he move things along? It's that missing piece where you're like, he's be, uh, it's behind the glass door. You know the exact kind of player you need. This is what would move the rebuild along, but he's just not available via trade. He's not available via free agency, and you can't draft him because you're not drafting high enough. But if the Red Wings won the lottery and were able to get Fantilli, like, I'm sorry, that solves a lot of things on the laundry list that Steve Eisenman has. Adam Fantilli would eventually push Dylan Larkin to second line center. Ideally, yeah. that That is the most likely outcome of that pick, and... We always said the Wings could win a cup with Dylan Larkin if they had two of Dylan Larkins. So getting someone that uh, should be better than Dylan Larkin, yeah, that solves that problem. Like we talk a lot about Bedard. We say, oh yeah, if Bedard comes to Detroit, you know, they, it's the Bedard lottery. But genuinely, if Fantilli comes, that is still should be a first line center on this team eventually. I don't want to talk too much about it. It's a 10% chance of it happening. One in 10. It's not nothing. And that's why I think my my level of optimism is still three and a half. It's not nothing, but eight teams ahead of Detroit in that order. In all likelihood, it won't come. I'm just saying, if there was ever a time, it's now. Especially with, you know, Eisenman and ownership's focus on reviving the excitement in hockey town about the team. This would do it. <laughs> it is the easiest thing that could happen to them, but the simultaneously the easiest and most difficult thing. Like they just need that luck. They haven't had it. I was talking to someone from uh, the Red Wings org and we were joking around about the low lottery odds and the, everyone knows the math isn't in their favor. Like it's a 10% chance. None of the, none of past lottery wins are factored into this, but there is like, <laughs> it was said like, you got to win one eventually. Like the, the luck That's has like to- such like a losing gambler's perspective. <laughs> 
Yeah, like, well, I'm down 50k, but eventually it'll turn around. Hey, what if the next poll is the winning poll? You want to walk away from the machine before that happens? Well, clearly we're not walking away from the machine. <laughs> no. Famous last words, I'm due. Yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of which, why don't we simulate the lottery? I'm genuinely going to do this once on Tankathon. This will be the exact face I have to, at tomorrow's. <laughs> yeah. We'll simulate the lottery and we'll talk about the players uh, in Detroit's range. So I'm going to do it once. Three, two, one, go. And Detroit stayed ninth, and that is statistically the thing that's most likely to happen. So who are the players that are going to be in Detroit's range based on conventional knowledge as of right now, Sunday, May 7th? Hopefully multiple players from the USNTDP's top line. I don't know. The the U18s did a lot to ruin that. There's actually a reality here based on uh, the rankings that have come out that none of them will be. Yeah. Because Gabe Perot was a late first-round pick. We were talking about him as an option maybe at Pick 18. Yeah, it's not happening anymore. He's uh, probably going near the top 10. Detroit may very well be the team to pick him. Uh, Ryan Leonard might get in that range. Oliver Moore is probably a good bet in that range. And again, I know hyper-focusing on the USNTDP, but it's a strong team this year, much like the uh, 2019 draft, very similar to that. Um, Zach Benson, the small, highly skilled winger from Winnipeg, might make it to Detroit's pick. If you're looking at a defenseman, it's probably Reinbacher or Sandine Pelica. Yep. Which... And if you want one of them, you have to take them at that pick. You won't get them at 17 or 18. In all likelihood, that is very correct. Uh, Dalibor Dvorsky is a very intriguing one, a very divisive prospect, but he is scheduled to go in that range. And then there's a handful of other longer shots at this point to be picked inside the top 10, but that's probably the core group that's going to be discussed the most in relation to the ninth overall pick. What's your best case scenario? And I, I don't mean like Will Smith because he's not falling. Yeah, that no, range. no. Assuming Will Smith, like Will Smith on Bob's rankings, he's, oh uh, yeah, he is not an option for the Red Wings at this point. What my best case scenario would be is there's a reality where three of the USNTDP guys are there for the Red Wings to choose from. So if the top four goes as expected, I'll, you know what, at this point we probably should say top five because I don't think Will Smith is getting out of the top five. And at six, seven, eight, you see one of the defensemen and let's say Dvorsky and Benson. Then you're sitting there with your choice of Leonard, Moore, or Perot. That's probably the Red Wings' best case scenario, the way this all shakes down. And who would you take of those three? Oh, depends on the day you ask me. Right now, my pick would be Leonard. I think the most red wingy pick here would be Moore. Yeah, I agree. So, you know, it's it's hard to say. And and I, I can argue all three of them comfortably. Perot, highest offensive upside. Oliver Moore, uh, best skater probably in the draft and with a, a mega high mo- Oliver Moore literally is the best Dylan Larkin comparison we've seen since Dylan Larkin entered the draft himself. Um, but Ryan Leonard is kind of that Kachuk style forward. The Red Wings don't have right now. Now he's not an exact, you know, one-to-one of the Kachuks. He's a little more skilled, not quite as aggressive as they are, but still that high compete in your face, dangerous scorer type player. Um, so yeah, it, honestly, that pick, if that scenario works out, just comes down to what's your flavor. 
with the U.S. NDDB kids really rocketing up the boards, um, the biggest question mark for me, not for maybe not for the Red Wings pick, but maybe crazier things have happened, is what happens with Michkov? Because now that the U.S. NDDP players have really pushed into that top seven with everything going on in Russia, we don't need to rehash that again. And owners and GMs having their own bias and opinions and thoughts on that whole matter and picking Russian players and the contract. Like where he goes in the top 10 at this point is becoming more and more confusing for me. It's fascinating because he actually, correct me if I'm wrong, he fell on McKenzie's rankings. Yeah, he got passed by Will Smith. Yeah, so he's fifth. Yeah. Fifth, which never thought I'd see a day because it's probably worth noting that if if you're looking at the top five of this draft, Michkov has a way better case for number two than number five as a player. Like if we're just isolating the player... And we're not taking into the Russian factor. We're not taking into his contract status. Any of that, he's he's probably number two. We're like a year and a half removed from him potentially challenging for number one with Connor Bedard. Yeah, going into this season, that was the argument. Was it going to be Bedard or Michkov? Now, Bedard went supernova and obviously quashed that uh, competition but Michkov didn't exactly have a bad year outside of his uh, his injury. Uh, I forget who it was. I think Scott Wheeler had him ranked three. And I think his exact phrase that he started his write-up with, this is the best player I've ever ranked at number three. Yeah. So all that being said, I have a really hard time seeing him making it outside of the top five. It's just, there's going to be one team there that's going to be patient. And it's probably worth noting there have been a ton of Russians to sign their ELCs in the last month. Yeah. They. Mirosnichenko. Mirosnichenko. Uh, there's rumors Svechkov might be added to that list now. He's planning on coming over. A bunch of second round picks, third round picks from the last two or three years have all signed and are coming over. You know, not to get political. It's not great for the people living in Russia right now. Um, so it makes sense that. It, Maybe things are greener. The grass is greener on the other side to a lot of them right now. Yeah. Um. So you know, it's that might play a factor because maybe Michkov's a little more antsy to get over here, and that will ease people's minds as to whether or not he actually will come when his contract. Player interviews will be exceptionally important, especially for this top ten. Um. But with all that being said, like this, where he lands in the top ten is perpetually and increasingly confusing me. I agree. I I do agree that he could fall. And I think he could even go further than five. You're right, Brad, that it's it's poignant to, uh, and it's necessary to point out that Russians are coming over a little bit more than what we would think or are used to. But he could fall because it's it's still three years without him. Yeah. And a lot of teams, Detroit would probably qualify as one in this group, are going to say, we need help before that. And so... If he falls, I could see him falling. I just can't see him falling to nine. Yeah, me neither. But if there's anyone I think in this draft who could, it would be him. Yeah. And, but I'm not saying that's likely. I'm saying for me, it's, I have no idea where he goes anymore. If he starts falling, he would go. If he starts falling, I want to trade up. I I was going to say, as soon as he gets past pick four, you are call. if if I'm Steve Eisenman, I'm calling every team ahead of me. I think that's more likely than it is not at this point based on how much 
other players have been rising up the board. Like you mentioned it, and the true answer to this question is something we'll never know because it will be the player interviews. If Michkov uses the phrase, I don't know, or I'm not sure, even once, yeah, he might start plummeting down the draft horse. But if he sits there and he goes, no, it's three years and I'm here. I don't think any teams are going to have any questions. Like they'll have questions because of (laughs) all the uncertainty around Russia right now. But if they don't have any concerns with Michkov himself, he's not getting out of the top five. There's no reality. The teams in the bottom five are so bad. These three years don't matter to them. This is one of the most interesting top tens that I can remember us covering as a podcast because there's so much good talent Mm -hmm. and I can see it going a million different ways. And there's so many interesting storylines. Well, just look at, anybody's rankings against anybody else's rankings. The variance this year is wild. I don't remember a year where even inside the top 10, it's as jumbled beyond the top four as it is this year. And this is all, that's by merit. Like it's not post COVID because the, the first year where players had a draft post COVID where a lot of them had missed hockey and, and views on them were weird. Like that one is expected to be all over the board. But this one is like, no, we've been watching these guys. There's just so much elite talent in this draft. And this was also a very, very impactful U18s in terms of how it moved the board around. Like that to me was... Big time. And, and it was almost to be expected based on the talent that was coming out of the States and how well that team performed. But look at Perot's stock and how high he is. Like Perot at nine would have been crazy to talk about a month and a half ago, right? Yeah. And then you go and shatter every NTD points record. That'll move you up the boards in a hurry. Yeah. So in my mind, like of those three guys you named, I'm still trying to default, like earlier talking about the Americans, uh, I'm defaulting towards more just because I center. Um, and that solves a problem for Detroit. I do agree with you though. You were, when you raised Ryan Leonard, when we talked about him, oh God, passage of time is weird. A month ago, like that kind of firepower is important. And not every line is going to have production coming from center. Like if you, if there isn't a center that can do it, don't deviate to the position and ignore really great firepower that could come from Leonard. And yeah, the way Perot has ascended, is he a product of his line mates? Is this something that's going to be sustainable? Is size an issue? Whatever it might be. But those are both guys that you have to seriously consider. There's a lot of comfortable options in that range where it really just depends on what Detroit's preference is or how much they care about positionality. Um, but there is no slam dunk option. And I don't know, like if Zach Benson falls, does that make it an automatic thing for you? Again, it depends who he's up against. Like if he was up against, let's say for some reason you could pick Benson, Leonard, uh, uh, Moore, or Perot. I feel like the Americans showed really well at uh, the U18, so it'd be kind of hard to bet against them when they're you know competing against the other draft eligible players and just in terms of exposure to the team yeah. like they're much like detroit has an excellent scouting staff in sweden so they have really good exposure to the to swedish prospects that are worth taking a swing on similarly you know being in michigan that helps with the us ntdp's proximity yeah right should we just start asking the question now which uh swede are the red wings picking at 17 is it going to be sandine pelica uh willander lindstein Stenberg. Yeah. It's <laughs> very it's very possible. Something to throw out there. Let's say Detroit doesn't win the uh the first the first uh draft lottery. Oh weird. Shocking. Let's say they win the second one. I know Fantilli's the pick. Is there any chance of Leo Carlson there? There's a chance. Uh, 
Would you go out no. the window for a good reason or a bad reason? I like Carlson, but no. The the gap between Will Smith and Leo Carlson is minuscule. The gap between Carlson and Fantilli is noticeable. Like Carlson's closer to dropping out of the top five than he is uh like getting drafted before Fantilli. I want to put Michkov in there, but the other factors kind of yeah. skew that. But yeah, I don't think there's any consideration for him at two. Unless literally Hakan walks into the room, throws a table across the room and said, no, this is what we're doing. I just want one of Arizona, Philly, or even Washington, depending on who's falling, to, to trade with Detroit. That's where I'm at. I, I really... Am interested in seeing that ninth ninth pick moved and see them get aggressive. Unfortunately, Philly fired their bad GM, so it's going to be more difficult to do that. It's really annoying when teams do that. Yeah. Anyhow, that's the draft lottery. Uh, we are going to be live streaming, so uh, depending on when you're listening to this, Monday, May eighth, seven thirty Eastern, our live stream is going to start. Uh, the draft lottery is meant to start at around eight Eastern, so uh, tune in to watch our despair or a one in 10 shot of seeing me and Evan go out a window. And if you never hear from us again, you'll know the, re- the draft lottery result. <laughs> it's you're going to learn the definition of the word defenestration real quick. Yes. But in a good way. Uh, so again, Monday, May 8th, tune in, uh, on YouTube, youtube.com slash winged wheel podcast, uh, to tune into that one. All right. We're going to take a very quick break and then we'll be back with more news on the Red Wings. This episode is brought to you by Manscaped.com, the global men's lifestyle brand that's disrupting the beard market. Hockey and beards are synonymous, and if you followed us for a while, you know that Evan and I take great pride in our beards while Brad does his best Crosby impression. Now finally, Manscaped is launching a beard trimming and styling routine. Now what I have here is the Beard Hedger Pro Kit. Your facial hair really sets the tone for the entire postseason, whether you're contending for the cup or sticking it to your old school GM. The Beard Hedger trimmer has a powerful 7200 RPM motor and titanium-coated T-blade that can cut through the thickest of hair in a single stroke. Whether you prefer a 5 o'clock shadow or a lion's mane, you can choose from 20 different hair-cutting lengths with the zoom wheel that only uses one guard. The Beard trimmer is waterproof, cordless, and rechargeable, so you can trim in the shower to save time and create less mess. Manscaped also created dermatologist-tested beard care products to help you grow and nourish a magnificent beard. The Beard Hedger Pro Kit includes the Beard Hedger, Beard Shampoo, Beard Conditioner, Beard Oil, Beard Balm, the Travel Case, and a free gift. To get all that and more, simply go to manscaped.com today and get 20% off plus free shipping when you use promo code WWP at checkout. That's 20% off plus free international shipping with promo code WWP at manscaped.com. Join over 8 million men worldwide, including us three, who trust Manscaped today. The long national nightmare is over. Jake Wallman was officially signed by his current GM and the GM who traded for him and his former GM, which was a surprise to no one. Jake Wallman, who has uh, a heritage from both Canada and the States, had never officially played for an international team, so he wasn't locked into playing for one or the other, but uh, Team Canada has officially brought him on for the IIHF World Championships. So that's Jake Wallman sorted. This was actually something that was done a long time ago. They just took forever to announce, so. The Lou Lamorello special. Yeah, they just had it sitting in a drawer. Joe Valeno also going for Team Canada. Am I crazy to say that if Jake Wallman continues on his trend, like this could be a guy where if the NHL ever goes back to the Olympics, who could factor into that? Or am I being way too much of a Jake Wallman fanboy? 
So Team Canada's defense does kind of suck. Yeah, it's a little thin outside of the very top, right? But where it is strong is generally on the left side. Yeah. So he he has his work cut out for them, be, for himself, you know. You think of all the big boys for Canada, but then you still have, you know, the Shea Theodores and the Pelics of the world that he'll have to go up against. And uh, that'll be tough. We should get Prashanth on here. That's Jake Wallman's real biggest fan. <laughs> Start the campaign right now. We're starting two long-term campaigns. Dylan Larkin for Selkie, Jake Wallman for Team Canada. There'd have to be some best on best for it to even be a conversation. I know. I know. Don't even get me. We have, what did we do? Like 30 minutes that one episode on the need for best on best? Maybe it wasn't long enough. I honestly, maybe it wasn't. Gary, are you listening? Hello. Gary. (laughs) That is uh, some international news. Uh, Lucas Raymond also showing well for Sweden in the run up to the world championships, which start in uh, five days, something soon. So we'll see how that plays out. Uh, We mentioned earlier, Bob McKenzie released his draft rankings and uh, a little bit of a primer on that one. Bob McKenzie's draft rankings aren't necessarily rankings of his. He is really well connected or at least was. I know now that he's semi-retired, maybe not as much as before, but he basically taps the scouting and uh, amateur drafting teams across the NHL to see how they're feeling. So by all rights, this is the best pulse of the NHL that we have access to. Well, he lays out exactly what his formula is. Yeah. He talks to 10 scouts from 10 different NHL teams and gets their lists and makes an amalgamation of them. Yeah. And at least that's what he shares with us. Maybe it's not scouts to throw other GMs off the uh, trail because they don't like leaks, but still, this is the best inside view we have of what uh, amateur scouting groups are doing. So the top 12 in order, Connor Bedard, Adam Fantilli, Will Smith at third. Leo Carlson, fourth, Matt Vemichkov, fifth, Dalibor Dvorsky, sixth, Ryan Leonard, seventh, eighth is Zach Benson, Gabe Perot at nine, which would be the hypothetical Red Wing spot, David Reinbacher at 10, Colby Barlow at 11, and Matthew Wood at 12. So some surprises in there. What stands out to you first? Well, ignoring the obvious Will Smith jumping in to the top five, which I think is very... I think it's fair. Fair, yeah. I, I could absolutely have the argument Carlson or Will Smith all day. Michkov falling to five, again, while objectively wrong, is understandable because of the circumstance beyond Michkov's control. Yeah. The surprising one for me was uh, Dvorsky all the way up to six. Yeah, that was... He's a very divisive prospect, so I wouldn't be shocked if there were several teams that had him at six... But I didn't think so many teams would have him that high on the list that he is number six on the list. Have we done a Dvorsky prospect profile? No. I think we need to. Yeah, we should probably do that it's soon. Pro- relevant. Because I, when I saw that, I was very shocked because he had not really been on my radar all that much. Yeah. I'm just At saying, least that high. I'm just saying he was picked for the Detroit Red Wings in the mock draft on the Wing Wheel podcast. Yeah, he was, wasn't he? He was. Yeah, because you guys sewered me and took all the NTDP guys before hey, pick nine. <laughs> you love you love when you get to pick for the Red Wings and so Evan and I's responsibilities to make it as difficult for you as possible. Well, you did. Congratulations. So, yeah, Dvorsky was pretty high and maybe that's an indication of, yeah, Dvorsky is um, divisive in the, you know, uh, public draft model world. But if in the NHL world, they're pretty sure of him, that could be an indicator that there's, you should be a little bit more confident in where he is. So ninth, could be where we see him go. Well, I I know there's a chance it won't happen, 
But I, I think we can confidently say the top five is probably going to stick to Bob's list in some order. Like those will be the first five names off the board. Uh, whether Carlson goes three, Smith goes five, Mijkov goes wherever they end up. Those, yeah. will, those will probably be the first five. So from my standpoint, if Dvorsky goes six, fantastic. One of the NTTP guys is going to be there for Detroit at nine. Then there's no way around it. Cause there is a reality where six, seven, eight goes some order of pro Leonard Moore. Yeah. So, you know, and obviously I've made it no secret. Those are the guys I want at pick nine for the Red Wings. So anybody outside of them who gets picked between six and eight only benefits the Red Wings. Something that stood out to me is Ryan Bucker at 10. You know, our mock draft in this has none of them going top nine, no defense going top nine. And I just don't know that it's going to shake out that way. I have a hard time believing that no defenseman will get picked in the top 10. I was That's always how we mock it, but we are almost always wrong about that. I was actually surprised to see Reinbacher at 10. I Because, again, these are NHL circles. I thought for sure he would be higher just because he seems to be the top-rated defenseman in the draft. He's not my top-rated defenseman, but I'm wrong uh, way more than the professional NHL scouts are. So I thought for sure Reinbacher would be firmly inside of the top 10. He still gets there, but yeah. First nine picks all forwards. I know. Color me skeptical. It's always like the first and most fair criticism of mocks that we do. And it's, I can see how it would shake out that way. Like I think in terms of how we value the players. Yeah. There aren't any standout D this time. This isn't like the Heisken and McCarr draft by any means. There's no Bouchard to take this time around or anything like that, but defensemen don't fall that far. And you like if Reinbacher goes, how much further back is Sandine Pelica or the inverse? Right, well, like, that, they're going to go close to each other. That's what I was going to say. I would say it's more likely that both Reinbacher and Sandine Pelica go in the top ten than it is neither of them go in the top ten. Hundred percent agree. I don't know. I'd never say never. Like there is a lot of talent that could force them out, and especially like like you mentioned, Evan, the US NTDP showed so well they could push them out. But yeah, I, I'm wondering about the defense and where they'll go. Uh, no, Oliver Moore in the top twelve. Good for Detroit, a little surprising. I mean, there are questions about his ultimate offensive upside, which is valid, and uh, and I can understand, it. especially in a draft where it is just chock full of premium offensive players. Matthew Wood is surprising. Like, I, I really, the skating hasn't scared off scouts, at least to the tune of he's in the top 12. And that makes sense considering his abilities otherwise, but his skating is like, it's a big, big red flag or it's a big question mark that something that he's going to have to find a way to improve and or work around. And that's, you know, one thing we've learned in terms of like scouting and mock drafting over the years is that skating isn't everything. And there's very successful players who can't skate. Leon Dreisaitl has a horrendous stride and he's playing a historic level of performance at, in the playoffs right now. Um, but yeah, Matthew Wood is is pretty high up. I, I, I would have thought more in him would have been inverted. I would still have more ahead of him, but uh, at least in NHL, NHL circles, Matthew Wood has the most important thing you can have to NHL scouts when you lack speed, when you lack top end skating. Uh, he has six foot four. Yeah. Yeah. Red Wings love that stuff. <laughs> so, I wish I had that. If I was six foot four and a lot better at hockey, I definitely would have got drafted. Did you? That's one of my jokes. You're better than that, Brad. I've, one been of using, my I've been using that joke for a <laughs> decade. Keep up. Cease and desist letter coming. I know. If Brad could read, it would really piss him <laughs> off. 
that's uh, that's Bob McKenzie's top 12 and probably uh, good information to have as you start to think, how is the draft going to shake out? Let's continue our draft conversation now and talk about a player who has risen a lot and has been attached to Detroit a lot because of the Swedish connection and his position. Uh, Tom Willander. Yes, Tom Willander. And you're probably thinking, well, what about William Willander? This is Mickey Redmond's worst nightmare. Uh, Tom Willander out of uh, Rogla, right-handed shooting defenseman. Um has been moved up the draft boards. I'd be surprised if he ends up as a second round pick anymore. That's where he kind of started off uh, in a lot of people's minds, but he's a, a player who could be in play at 17 or 18 for Detroit. So who is Tom Willander as a prospect? Um, Tom Willander is one of the fastest risers in this draft, especially after the U18 uh, tournament that he had for Sweden, because he was near universal second round pick for almost the entirety of the season, had a phenomenal, phenomenal U18 tournament. Um, I was listening to um, Max and Corey on their podcast, their prospect podcast, and Corey was saying there's a reality. He's a top, he's getting top 10 consideration from team at this point. Yeah, with how the momentum he has, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, so I, I think he's all but certain to be a first-round pick because he checks a lot of boxes for a lot of teams, Um and to be specific here, he checks a lot of boxes for the Red Wings. I wouldn't consider him for ninth overall, but yeah, you probably take a long, hard look at 17 or 18, wherever wherever that Islanders pick ends up picking because he's big, he shoots right, he's a good skater, he's good defender, he's good in transition. He's a real, I, the term I see thrown around a lot with him, he's a real high floor guy. Most people say pretty confidently, this guy is going to play in the NHL. The argument is, is he your number 60? Is he your number 3D? And everything in between is in play. Is the offense in the O zone specifically good enough to play on a second pair? That's pretty much where opinions seem to split on Willander. Those who still have him late first, second, say it's not really there. It's not going to be impactful at the next level. Other people who have him all the way up in the mid first round are saying, yeah, no, it's, it's there. He was running, you know, Sweden's power play for part of the U 18s. Uh, the way Sweden was deploying him and Sandine Pelica at the U 18s was basically, they wanted one of them on the ice at all times. And, you know, whether that was offensive or defensive situations, it didn't matter, which is also a testament, testament to Sandine Pelica, but we'll talk about him later. If, if. You're an NHL team that's just looking for, you know, a sure thing at a premium position in the mid to second half of the first round. He's going to be very appealing because that floor is so high. And as a right shot defenseman, it's going to be something a lot of teams are lacking. Yeah, I, I've had this discussion a lot because obviously the conventional thinking is Detroit goes forward and then probably forward again if they're two first round picks, if they draft both of them. And I'm with Ken on this one. I don't think they're going to make both picks as is. I think one of them will move in some way, but let, let's say they do pick nine and 17 if Florida gets the thing done and, and goes to the conference finals. It doesn't necessarily have to go forward, forward. And the Red Wings did lose Heronic and they do have that gap on the right side. And you do need everyday top four players if you're going to make competitive runs in the long term. Like it can't all be star power. And if the star power isn't there at 17, you can't draw it out of thin air. Or maybe you don't want to take a big swing risk. Or maybe you already did that with pick nine. 
And Will Ander fits that mold of, yeah, this is a guy who plays well at both ends of the ice. Uh, he's yeah, His offensive upside is the biggest question. So do you really want to spend the 17th overall pick on a guy who isn't that great in the offensive zone? That's depending on how much you believe in what his true offensive upside is. And that's still kind of a question mark for me. I'm not sure. But I, I can honestly say I'd be comfortable with the pick. He is responsible defensively, uh, is a good facilitator, moves really well. Uh, he's not an offensive black hole. Like the puck is going to move up the ice with him. I think he has top four upside. I think he could be a, a bonafide everyday top four guy. Generally, you can try to find those guys in the second round, or ideally that's where you would want to do it. Like my personal philosophy is you take bigger swings in the first round. And that's what the Red Wings have done in the past, right? Like they they took, uh, they traded up and grabbed Kosa with a second first round pick just not too long ago. I like Willander. I like the kind of game he plays. I wish he would still be available in the second round. That's just not the reality of it though. Is it the most exciting pick in the world? No, but he's certainly not a boring player. Like like I mentioned, you need everyday top four guys, and that seems to be the kind of profile he has uh, as a guy who's pretty well-rounded. If he doesn't put up superstar-level points, you get a guy at a reasonable cap hit, and uh, he plays a ton of minutes on your second pairing. Hard to not like that. Yeah, well, you look at the left side of Detroit's defense, as we're hoping, and as is the most likely scenario now, which will be some variation of Edvinson, uh, Willinder, uh, Wallman, and Johansson. There's a very strong possibility here that if the Red Wings draft Tom Willander, we have a second pairing of Willander Willander, and that is just <laughs> too tempting to pass up. Wally and Willie, Willie Wally, which is also. William Willander. <laughs> William Willander's nickname is Willie Wally. This is this has to happen. Willie Wally Willie? Well, no. <laughs> I can already see how this is going to be painful for Mick. Poor guy. And painful with, enough for me. Yeah, <laughs> the number of times I've looked up Willander versus <laughs> Willander while we were doing this. It's I, outrageous. I also, for the longest time, uh, I don't know why, but I had him on my own notes, not with the first name Tom. So someone said Tom Willander to me, and I was like, what an aggressively non-Swedish name. I know it's not necessarily, but it just seems like seems like a fake player based on, like, you know if you go far enough in an NHL, uh, be a GM mode, they start making up fake players using old players' names. Yeah. This seems like that. Tom Willander. Did you just assume his first name was Wall this whole time? Wall Willander and Will Willander? My head hurts. I don't like this. This is Sunday. <laughs> Evan's br- Yeah, Evan's this brain is, is wrinkling. Yeah. All in all... Based on that kind of well-rounded top four upside kind of profile, how would you feel about the pick, Brad? I would be okay with it. I would understand it. Kind of like a lot of what I said about the Simashev conversation would apply here as well, because I think they're very similar in a lot of ways. And in that context, it's, yes, I like the player, but it's not what I'd be aiming for if I'm the Red Wings right now. Yeah. Uh, I think Willander's a little more appealing than Simashev simply because of the handedness. But I, God, I look at the Red Wings organization and I just, you see all the holes on forward and all the lack of scoring. And I I still really would prefer to lean two forwards in the first round, but on a talent level, perfectly justifiable. I almost wanted to say, I don't see him as a top 10 in terms of talent level. Like I, I can't, maybe couldn't justify a top 10 pick. And I say that with fear. Like that's, that's what I believe right now. I don't think you take a, a top 10 pick on Will Ander. 
And I know I'm tempting fate with that because that's what the Red Wings are going to end up doing. And they're going to Remember when Mo Sider was like a second round pick and then a late first round pick and then got some mid first round conversation and then went top 10? Yeah. The trajectory feels kind of similar here, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Now that we've been burned before. And so now we're very hesitant. Yeah. I'm not anti defense at pick 17. It's just there's context because I'm very pro offense at pick 17. So if by some miracle Sandine Pelica is there at 17 yeah. or 18, yeah, you're running to the stage because, you know, for as good as Wallman insider and everybody is, the Red Wings don't have a power play quarterback right now. So if they have a defenseman at that position who could become a power play quarterback for them, absolutely. Do I think Willander's got that potential? Even if his offensive upside is higher than projected, I still don't think that's in the cards. Do you see him being lumped in with Reinbacher and Sandy Pelica if and when defense start to go in the draft? It's hard to say because they're so different. I, I Sorry, I shouldn't say that. Uh, Reinbacher and Willander have a lot of overlaps here. Sandy Pelica is kind of the unicorn of the first handful of defensemen to go because he's the smaller, like, high offensive upside guy. And he might be the only one that's even getting, what, top 45 consideration in this draft right now. So... I don't think on talent Willander's there with Sandine Pelica, but at the same time, I don't think Reinbacher is either, and Reinbacher's ranked ahead of him, yeah. Sandine Pelica. So, yeah, I, I could see a reality where all three of them are gone in the top 15, and I, I could see those picks falling fairly close together. All right, well, at least the uh, the name game would be fun if Willander comes over. So, And it, it is very nice of him to shoot right, because, yeah, not just because Detroit would potentially fill in a hole that they have, but... Willander, 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 and left and right, that's just, it's made to be. And the style of play they each play, they would be very complimentary. Like, this is a defense pairing that could make legitimate sense for a long time in Detroit. All right, let's uh, cover some playoffs. Uh, As we're recording right now, uh, the New Jersey Devils just won a wacky 8-4 game over the Carolina Hurricanes, and Toronto's up 1-0 over Florida at first intermission of game three. So you'll know the result of that game by the time you listen to this, as well as the Dallas-Seattle game. But uh, the playoffs in the, the second round have started. It's been a lot of fun. I mean, depending on who you ask, Toronto definitely losing the first two at home wasn't a blast for them. Uh, pretty surprised that both those games went the way that they did. I thought Florida would be disruptive to Toronto, but I don't think Toronto played so much worse so that you would have predicted they, they would have gone down too. But yeah, they're back in Florida and Florida has a chance to do this. And as a reminder, if Florida wins the series, Detroit's 18th overall pick in the first round moves up to 17th, the one that belongs to the Islanders. Well, did I think Florida was a better team than Toronto? No. Did I think Florida would outplay Toronto? No. And has Florida outplayed Toronto? No. This is a th- These first two games are a simple case of Toronto getting goalied. Bobrovsky has found his 2019 form and some of the saves he are, is making are so far out of normal technique that he is just willing himself to make saves and that's very bad news for Toronto. Yeah, he's playing a kind of game where, first of all, Bobrovsky is the definition of this is why you can't predict goalies. Goalies are voodoo. Don't write off a goalie who is mega talented and then fell off. Like it just doesn't happen the same way as players like this guy won multiple Vesnas. He got a $70 million contract. He fell off, lost his job to 
backup and a backup's backup and hasn't been able to hold it. We'll put together 10 good games and then suck again and whatever it might be. But this is a kind of game that he's playing that ruins other teams' playoff chances. Like you said, Brad, he's goalieing them and it doesn't make sense. And that's what makes a difference in playoffs. That is one of the most old school storylines that wins teams' cups. Like, yeah, this goalie just randomly played out of his mind. And it could be a Patrick Watt type or Dominic Hasek, the, the ones who are supposed to do it. And it could be, you know, Dwayne Rollis in one year. This is just what happened. So, but Brovsky very much back on the force. Um, you know what was really funny out of that series? And I say this as a neutral fan. I saw a tweet of a, uh, I wasn't watching that game live. And uh, I saw a tweet and it said, Sam Bennett, Rock Bottoms, Matthew Nyes. And it was from a Toronto account. So I said, oh, you know, the whining about the refs and and supplementary discipline and blah, blah, blah. Out of Toronto has been a lot these playoffs. So I thought, he didn't rock bottom him. Let's see it. He watched the clip. <laughs> he rock bottomed him. <laughs> Textbook. Just at, like you could use that as a demonstration on how to do that in a WWE ring. It was when funny, wacky plays happen like that, you, you hope to be able to just laugh at it. Unfortunately, Matthew Nice was actually yeah, concussed on the play. So hurt for multiple games. Although they did get Sam Bennett. They did they did find him five thousand dollars. So all is right. No, they find him twenty five hundred for that, essentially, and then find him twenty five hundred for cross checking a guy in the face. Yeah. Tomato tomato. Yeah, you know. Sam Bennett's the ultimate disruptor in this series, really. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? Repeat offender, though. So, you know, had to factor that into giving him the second half of that fine. New Jersey and Carolina has been insane. Carolina dominated New Jersey for the first two games, and then New Jersey jumping out to a 5-1 lead ends up being 8-4. Speaking of getting goalied, yeah, jeez, this is what the exact opposite of that looks like. It is a weird series. I don't know. Even though New Jersey put up an 8 spot today, I do believe in Carolina overall, uh, based on what we've seen through at least the first two games. i not really counting the third here. Uh, well, when was the last time a team got absolutely blown out in the first two games of a series and then went on to win the series? Oh, yeah, it was New Jersey in the first round. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe this is just how they start out. Yeah, they just got to, you know, they like playing the game on hard mode. Yeah. We are recording before Dallas and Seattle play again tonight, but Seattle took the first game off Dallas, who is maybe the most dangerous team in the playoffs if you ask a lot of people in the, to start the second round. This could be a very fun Final Four, but yeah, I love that Seattle. And it was the game Seattle won. That wasn't someone getting goalie. They outplayed Dallas. Yep. They showed up and said, we belong to be here. We belong here. Played like it. That game was, I that was one of the games I was able to watch in its near entirety. And that was a fun hockey game. We've had two games this this round that have had players score four goals and lose the game. Yeah. That's wild. That's nuts. Well, first one was uh, Joe Pavelski. Yeah. And that fourth goal, that redirect as he was moving across his body, I can't articulate articulate well enough. Yeah, his hand-eye deflection skills are out of this world. That was nasty. Like, that was an absolute filthy goal. Yeah. It's the first time I've ever seen a goal like that. And then the next night, Leon Dreisaitl scores four because he's a freak and all of a sudden Mario Lemieux, and they lose. They did take one off Vegas in Vegas, so Edmonton has tied the series and, and they have a home ice advantage, but... Let's look at what Leon Dreisaitl is doing. Connor McDavid has eight goals, five, or sorry, five goals, 10 assists, 15 points. Leon Dreisaitl has four assists, 13 goals in eight games. I, Ryan, you can fact check me on this one. Last year's leading goal scorer in the playoffs finished with 13 goals. Leon Dreisaitl has that many game as of game two in the second round. 
this year, which is absolutely bonkers. Nathan McKinnon in 20 games and Evander Kane in 15 games both scored 13 goals last season. So it took Leon, and the all-time record is Reggie Leach at 19. Dreisaitl might have that by the end of this series at the pace he's playing at. It is in, It is insane to think in a, let's say Edmonton goes all the way. They do the thing and win the cup. Or even they JS Jagarit. They lose in the cup finals, but they still get the Con Smythe. That on a team with Connor McDavid, as of right now, the Con Smythe winner would be Leon Dreisaitl and it would be not particularly close. That's crazy to say. That's not a knock on Leon Dreisettle. He's always been one of the best players in the league. Like the moment he signed that contract, it was, oh, that's an insanely good contract. They got him for cheap. Good for them. Oh, not at the moment he signed it. It wasn't a year later. It was. Oh, I, I think that contract was good from the start. I don't oh, think I said it was. It It's played out to be good from the start. The moment, moment pen went to paper, fans weren't sure of it. No, not a lot of fans. Like there yeah. was, there was some division. Yeah, and then he started playing that season, and everybody went, "Oh yeah, no, this is fine." Yeah, that was a, it. Was a very good read by Edmonton's own team there. Connor McDavid, he's no slouch. He has 15 points in the same amount of games, only two points fewer. But Leon Draisaitl has 13 goals. Like he is, this is the the level of ascension. Prashanth had a lot of really good stats on this. Where and if I was prepared, I'd have him in front of me. But the way he elevates his game in the playoffs, the way he increases his production. It's at historic levels, and by historic, I mean among Mario Lemieux's numbers, among the best playoff performers of all time's numbers, and in an era where I, scoring is up right now, but overall, like scoring was high back then. Leon Dreisaitl doing this is bonkers. And he's doing it while Edmonton's power play is operating at 56% eight games into the playoffs. Like, could you imagine the Red Wings power play? Operating at a fifty-six percent clip. I would love that. I, th- Are so they on half of that? Have we, they even had a night like that where they finished over fifty percent? Oh like, yeah, one or two, and we all felt great because the Red Wings actually won that game. But was that on a night where they had one power play and they scored on it? Oh, you know all these details and semantics. <laughs> and the best part about this series, as crazy as it's been. It's tied 1-1. Yeah. Vegas could still do this. Vegas is the best team in years that nobody's talked about going into the playoffs. I I don't know if I saw one person picking him to win the cup. I saw lots of upset people picking Winnipeg for upsets in the first round. I don't know how many people picked Vegas to win this series against Edmonton. And I didn't, but still. They won the Western Conference in the regular season. They are the one seed in the West. And it's like nobody noticed that. Yeah, if you if you came into it and asked me, I would have said Edmonton and Dallas are ahead of Vegas in terms of who I think could come out of the West. I agree, though. Vegas isn't talked about enough. And a lot of people are still thinking about, oh, you know, Jack Eichel's not playing like the best player in the world. And a lot of people are thinking, oh, they, they missed the playoffs last year and they've been in turmoil. Mark Stone's back and he's Mark Stone. Like, this is a team. And Jack Eichel's over a point per game. They're, they're like, oh, what's Brossois going to do in net? And it's like they could take a potential cup favorite out in the second round. If you ever want an argument for reseeding, which I am big on one through eight and reseeding, this is exactly why you don't want it because you'd want this to be a potential conference finals, but I'll, that's my whining done for now. Eh, the Western Conference worked out all right this year. I think a Dallas, Seattle, Vegas, Edmonton second round is fine because 
but outside of Seattle, all three of these teams were legit conference final candidates. So yeah. hard to say anybody truly got screwed there. Anyways, the playoffs have been entertaining. Uh, very quickly here before we jump into overtime, Gerard Gallant let go by the New York Rangers, or sorry, uh, agreed mutually to part ways. Hearing a lot of mutually parting ways lately. Yeah, it, it keeps things respectful and it allows guys to to look for their new jobs. I, I do believe Brad Living actually, like that one was his decision. But Gerard Gallant, the narrative and the conversation around him, like we were really excited when he was a potential free agent and we knew that, um, and before we knew that Derek Alone was coming to Detroit, we we're like, oh, maybe this is a guy who can come here. But how many times has he kind of worn his welcome thin or uh, didn't stay for an extended period of time? Like He'll get hired again for sure. But Gerard Gallant being let go by the Rangers is not... Eh. Not nothing? It's a little bit of an indictment on what he can do with a team and how well he can stick with them long term. He's had elite Vesna caliber goalies at both of the jobs he's had. Well, I don't think Gallant's a bad coach, but he seems to wear out his welcome pretty quickly. And The way the NHL works, I'm sure he's going to land on his feet with another head coaching job very soon while the Rangers hire another one of the 35 NHL <laughs> retreads and the cycle continues as it has for the past 72 years. What's Peter Laviolette doing right now? <laughs> yeah, well, that's the cycle continues. Yeah. He, like, good to start. It's a little Tortorella-esque. Yeah, I think the narrative is he really likes his grinders, his third-line guys, and... um we didn't see a lot of growth out of Lafreniere or Kako under his tutelage. So um, that's not nothing for sure. Um, that one still baffles me. Both of those lottery picks, neither of them turned out to be a star so far. Like that one just drives me insane. That's not coincidence in no, my mind. No. If it is, it's such a low percentage coincidence. It's not. And I don't feel bad for them at all. No. Just the same way I don't cry for millionaires or billionaires. I don't cry for a team who's won the draft lottery twice. Yeah. All right, uh, why don't we jump into overtime here? Uh, overtime on this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, again, is brought to you by our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash Podcast. if you want to join the Dub Dub Club. Uh, let's take some questions from our patrons. Uh, Andrew Dalton says, hey guys, short time listener, even shorter time patron here. Andrew, welcome to the Dub Dub Club. Thank you so much for your support. Says about halfway through this season, my eight-year-old son developed an interest in hockey that in turn reignited my passion for watching the sport. Neither of us had ever stepped on the ice until a couple weeks ago. I started to t- take him into some uh, open skating at a local-ish rink. My question is, what is the adequate level of shame a grown-ass 38-year-old man should feel for clumsily tearing, tearing ass around the ice using one of those little plastic walker thingies? Where, rock it with pride. Learning at any age, there's no shame in that at all. There's always someone worse than you, and if anyone gives you shit for that, screw them. They're a loser anyways. Uh, Follow-up, is eight years old too old to start learning to skate in order to play hockey? God, no. no yep, no, no. it's already over. There's no point. Yeah, you're sorry. He's not You've already be, wasted their life. No, it, like the 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 best time to get your kid into hockey is yesterday. The second best time is now. So there's you'd be surprised, especially kids who are naturally athletic. Like me. <laughs> I don't think I started playing hockey till I was seven or eight. Really? Yeah. Well, look where you ended up. No, eight years old is just fine, and you'll there's going to be a learning curve, but you'll find that they're going to catch up um, pretty quickly there. 
All right. Evans Potato Farm says, uh, what makes a defenseman a good power play quarterback? I see someone like Wallman who has great mobility slash edge work and an absolute missile of a shot, but doesn't get much talk about being on the unit. Uh, even if you're not a doctor, Ryan, I guess you used to play defense or something, hoping you could help me understand better what I should be looking for. The shot is one thing. Honestly, the the intelligence with the puck, the, it's the decision-making that really makes a power play quarterback. Yeah, having a boom of a shot helps. Being able to get the puck through is arguably more important. You're not always going to have the time and space in the lane to, to get your cannon off. And frankly, you're better off having your power play quarterback feed to the guy with the, the massive one-timer, depending on who it is. It's the decision-making. It's the smart, sometimes risky, sometimes safe moves on the blue line. Yeah, your mobility uh, laterally ac- across the blue line is really important, um, but it, it's the decision-making. And you know what? I think Cider has a lot of that in him. Naturally, we've seen it in the first two seasons. His decision-making can be really, really great borderline elite. Um, it's a combination of a lot of those things, though. It's finding lanes and seams, and that could be shot or pass. Yeah. And it's using body language and and your eyes to make the defense think you're doing something else. It is the power play more than any other aspect of hockey is so cerebral. That's why you can get a guy like David Prawn with an okay shot, okay hands, can't skate for shit, and be elite on the power play because he can just outthink yeah. everybody in that circumstance. Because a hard point shot is good. Um, but a shot, like you mentioned, that can, a defenseman that can find the lane on a shot is way better. And the, the best example of that is if you watch Evan Bouchard in Edmonton, almost all his point shot goals, and he gets a lot of them are wrist shots. He doesn't fire too many clappers, but he can find that lane and put it through at the right time. And the goalie has no idea it's even coming. He's literally lobbing them to the empty side of the net and they're just going in and, you know, you look at a guy like Eric Carlson, Eric Carlson doesn't have a great shot for a defenseman. His hands are unreal. His skating's okay, but there might not be a player in the NHL who can outthink people better than Eric Carlson. And that's what makes him a hundred point score from the blue line. Can't play defense though. No, not really. <laughs> no, not at all. You know this isn't my dad's NHL anymore. Gone are the days where the Norse winning uh, uh, defenseman actually played defense. Yeah. I'm just trying to piss Brad, Brad off with this. It's 100 points. You can't hurt me. I know. <laughs> Joseph Barry says, do you guys take Kako or Lafreniere from the Rangers if the price is right? I'm not paying a premium for them because at this the, point that you're worried on whether they're damaged goods, but I'm absolutely taking them for a song for sure. Would I take them? Yes. The price won't be right. If they wanted a premium for either of them, they should have developed them better. Do you trade the second first round pick for Lafreniere? The that, fact I have to cons- like actually think about this probably tells you everything you need to know about where Lafreniere's development is at. Yeah, I feel like you should, right? Like, but if, like I'm thinking about it a lot more than I think I should. How much of a gambler are you? Because we know Lafreniere's floor is really high because he's a decent third liner in the NHL already, which you might not get at pick 18. And if you truly believe there's more upside there then yes you absolutely should trade that pick for him then that's then it's an absolute sure thing that i do that then but how does the board fall probably matters a lot here because there's going to be some guys with some talent available there it's just how much of a gambler are you because there might be guys still sitting there with a higher ceiling than what lafreniere's is at this point but the floor will also be way lower so how much of a gambler are you I just can't help but think based on everything we've seen from Lafreniere so far, there isn't more there. 
And I've said that about a, little, about a lot of guys. I, I, there was a point in time where I was saying that about Zadina. So take that as you will. But yeah, I think you do the second first round pick for Lafreniere, but I don't know that the Rangers are going to, it'd be a little silly for them to give up on him. This is also kind of though where age starts to factor in a little bit too, because Lafreniere was drafted in 2020, but he was a late birthday. So he's, he's really going to be four years older than most guys taken in this draft, which isn't old, but how much are those four years worth? Think about to a team 30, rebuilding. Thir- a 30-year-old versus a 26-year-old kind of thing. Right? Exactly. Like one guy's in and moving out of his prime, and the other's jumping right into it. You know, I I don't know. Let's say we take Braden Yeager at 17. Okay, let's say he's there. Do I think Braden Yeager's ceiling is higher than Lafreniere's? At this point, probably not, but it's at least close enough it merits a conversation. But you get a positional premium with Jaeger a handedness premium and he's four years younger. Yeah. So how much is all of that worth versus a Lafreniere? And the answer might still be you take Lafreniere, but it's at least a conversation worth having. All right. Stan Olson says, uh, Hey boys, hope all is well. Assuming we land picks nine and 17, uh, because Toronto LOL, which pick combo would be your preference based on the options, uh, below. Number one, Dvorsky Willander. Number two, Shala Stenberg. Number three, Reinbacher Ritchie. Or number four, Kyle Connor trade Hanzek. Interesting. So the ninth overall pick goes into the Kyle Connor trade. Dvorsky Willander is tempting there. That was my favorite of them because each of the other ones had someone I really don't like at each pick. The Kyle Connor one's also super intriguing. Um, the rest of that trade would need to be <laughs> fleshed out, uh, to give a, a full opinion on that. But, um, I did not like the other two options. Uh, who's so crazy says there were 19 players with 40 or more goals this season with Detroit's cap space and draft capital. Do you think there's a reasonable chance that the wings could trade for any of these players? I know several teams with those players are cap crunched. Uh, we took a look at those at, after last episode and it's just the reality is a lot of those guys are players that teams like generally when you have a 40 goal scorer, even if you're cap crunched, you make things work. So you keep your 40 goal scores. Exactly. Those are not the guys that you're moving out to <laughs> free up the cap space. You're getting rid of your $5 million second line winger to keep that guy. So yeah. And if you look at the list of players who have 40 goals, like Timo Meyer could be available depending on what happens with him in New Jersey. Jared McCann's not going to go anywhere. Kaprizov, Matthews, Nylander, Kachuk, no, Kempe, Shifley. Like Shifley, sure, but do you really want Shifley? And he's only got one year left till UFA, and Detroit should not be looking at a one-year to UFA anybody this offseason. I don't know what Verhage's deal is, but the, the way that guy kind of scores in the playoffs and shows up in big moments, he's going to be... Florida knows what they have in Verhage. And for Hakey with a quiet 73 points, like what a season for him. I Toronto Maple Leafs draft pick. I love that. <laughs> Is it possible? Yeah. I just don't consider it incredibly likely just because of how hard it is to get 40 goal scorers. Even with goal, even with scoring increase in the NHL, it's not like every team has one. So yeah. Um, Shifley's probably the only one on that list getting moved this off season. And again, with the context of, uh, the Winnipeg issues, his defensive play, and his contract status. It would have to be for a song. Yeah, like, I don't even know if Detroit gives up pick 
you know, 41 for him right now because of where they're at. You wouldn't? Uh, like, uh, Let's on, talk to Andrew Kopp first and on, see what he says. On value, it's a no-brainer you do it. Yeah. But again, do the Red Wings think there's something this year? Do they? And do you extend him in for how much? Exactly. The, the context there would matter a ton. All right. If the Red Wings were a cup contender, oh my God, you give up pick 18 for him. Yeah. But they're not. And that's the reality of the situation. All right. We're going to wrap up this episode. Uh, again, be sure to tune into our draft lottery live stream coming up tomorrow or Monday at 730 Eastern, youtube.com slash Wayne Real Podcast. Subscribe on YouTube uh, and follow us there and uh, get those alerts. We'd like to thank all of you for tuning in, uh, all of our listeners, new and old. Thank you so much. Uh, and to our uh, all of our Patreon supporters, again, you're the heartbeat of this show, all of our name-level supporters on Patreon. Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Akefer, Nick Perks, We Are Geelong, the greatest team of all, Glenn Brabham, Aiden White, Keenan O'Donoghue, Yanni Burgers, Meals on Wheels, Matthew M. Rice, Misunderstood Yowie, Admiral Matt S. of the Cheesebag Navy, Babe Landeskog, Bros Before Hosas, Carl Bertanen and Analuski, Chimmy, Chris P, Sizen High Five, Connor Scovey, Cooking with Kosa, Coyote Season Tickets in Tempe, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Give Blood Fight Probert, Hockey Town Matt, Hassam Alkasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, Kalen Wood, Kevin James, King Tone, Marcus, Matt McKay, Michael Edland, Moldy Old Cheesebag, Nicholas Fritz, RA, Red Three, Ryan Hubbard, Ryan the Ryan Hannah Hannah, Scott Martin, That's What I Appreciate About You, Wallman's Elite Dancing D, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, number one Detroit Red Guys fan, A.A. Ron, Brian Vasha, Adam Gowitska, Adam Rose, Brad Simmons, Captain Antonio Gracias of the United Federation of Cheesebags, C.J. Wilkinson, Commander Ban Baron of the Cheesebag Space Force, Connor Leighton, Corey Prita, Darren Fick, Dungeon Master of Puppets, Frank Stanley, Gene Sullivan, Grand Rapids Hockey Guy, Griffey Boy, I Can't Decide on My Next Patreon Name, Instructions Unclear, Cheesebag No Longer Fresh, James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans, John Ingalls, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hull, Matt Keeler, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, O. Ophelia, Steven, Tatar Sauce, The Hodag, The Honorable Sir Poopy Pants of the Poop Bag Army, thank you, Reed, uh, The St. Louis Blueth. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you guys tomorrow for the inevitable despair of the draft line. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.